We have over 40 international partners and over half of them come from our church, raised up, sent out overseas. God is doing amazing things around the world, including Pakistan, a variety of different places. It's important we continue to pray for our international partners as they're sent out. We're really connected as one, one family around the world. It's also exciting as we're reconnecting here this fall and we have plans to add the 1045 service. Also, we want to open up some kids' classes as well, have more musicians up front leading us in worship. There's just a lot of other ministries too, and uh, we want to just continue to open the doors, open up more ministry. God is moving. The elders meet Tuesday to make some decisions this week, and then we'll give you an update as well. So stay tuned. Uh, More is coming, and uh, it's growing, it's building, reconnecting. Uh, let's keep walking forward together. It's, it's like, it's so strange the last six months. And now it's like, all right, here it comes. Here it comes. And step by step, prayerfully, we're moving forward with the Lord and his leading. This fall, we're in a series and it's the book of Genesis. If you brought a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter four today. And this series is relationship roadmap. We're looking at the very first relationships and what is God's design? What is he doing then? What is he doing now? And last week, we started with Adam and Eve focusing on marriage, marriage, Marriage is there from the start, a gift from God, designed by God. And then this week, we're looking at Cain and Abel and unmasking a sibling rivalry. There's a sibling rivalry that breaks out starting in Genesis chapter 4. We want to dive into that and also dive into the healing that comes through the Lord as well. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. We worship you. We're thankful that we're alive, that we're here, that we're together. We're thankful how you're moving around the world, Jesus, and how you're always at work. You're always good. And uh, we realize in our lives, God, that you keep doing greater and greater things. And God, I pray that we would trust you. Jesus, you are the light of the world. You are the light in our lives. And Lord, we want to shine your light. The light is greater than the darkness. And we pray, God, that you'd prevail in mighty ways, that we would trust you more. And Lord, you would bring healing and strength in our relationships. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. When you open up the Bible and you start to read the Bible during the week, here's four questions to consider. Who is God? What is God doing? Who are we? And what does God want us to do? Those four questions. You say, how do you study the Bible? What do you look for? Look for this. Who is God? What is God doing? Who are we? And what does God want us to do? And when you take those four questions and you open up the book of Genesis, you see that God is personal. God is about relationships. Relationships are most important in life. And God wants to build up and strengthen relationships. He wants to heal relationships, guide us in our relationships, and bring his love, his wisdom, his power into our relationships. And the context right here is family. We begin with family. And let's take a look at Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Right away in this chapter, we see the joy of family. When you read those two verses, you think this is going to be a good chapter. This family is healthy. And a lot of families, it starts out that way and you think everything's so healthy, everything's so good. And as you read these first two chapters, what do you see? Adam and Eve are getting along well. There's intimacy together. Now they've been through a lot. They've made some bad decisions. There's been tension in their relationship. Uh, they've rebelled against God. They, they know God's grace, 
But look at, they're getting along well together. Their marriage has been strengthened after a very difficult stretch. Uh, I'm excited about October 1st, and I know some couples have already jumped in. I talked to a couple last night. They're not yet married, but their relationship's serious, and they've gone through the videos already. And those videos and those questions are an opportunity for you to get honest, to go deep in your relationship. It's like a new habit when you start to watch a video and have discussion each day. Maybe it's been a while since you talked to your spouse, if you're married, about some of the things that are close to your heart, some of your desires, what's ideal, what does God want in marriage? And ultimately, God brings peace unity and joy in marriage. And we seek him together. And Adam and Eve, you can see there's some unity that's come back to their marriage. And then they have a child and the great joy of having a child. They have their first child together. Eve is giving thanks and praise to God. Do you see that? Even though she tasted the forbidden fruit just before this, now what is she saying? With the help of God, I have a child. What a great statement. Reliance on God, glory to God, When things go well in your life, do you say something similar to that with the help of God? Thanks to God. I'm so grateful to God. Eve is giving God the glory and so thankful because every child is a blessing. Every child is a gift and she's thanking the Lord for the gift. They have two kids, Cain and Abel, hardworking kids. It's a blessing when your kids have a work ethic and they get after it and it's hardworking kids. And they both have their roles. They've found their different roles. And we see Abel is a shepherd and Cain is a farmer. And still, those two fields, uh, those two areas of working in the Middle East today, you see farmers, you see shepherds. And from the very start, each child has found their role. And it's exciting when kids find their passion and their gifts and their role and they're serving and they're working hard. And all this is happening. And all this is so good. But we know this about life. In the middle of the blessings, sometimes there's tension. There's tension that comes in the middle of the blessings. For example, it's a blessing to have a house. If you have a house, uh, that's a great blessing. And if you have siblings, that's a great blessing. But then you also know some tension comes in around the bathroom, right? When you have a lot of siblings, who gets to use the bathroom? You've been in the bathroom too long and pretty soon the bathroom can be a place of tension. It might be a blessing to have a couch and a TV and maybe, you know, you watch some different programs, build up your faith, or you just relax in front of the TV. But then the tension comes. Well, who gets which spot on the couch and who gets the remote control? There's tension there. Uh, We know that there's blessing when families, let's say parents go to be with Jesus and yet they can provide an inheritance to the kids and what a blessing that is to give the kids that, that financial assistance. But what happens sometimes, I've seen this many, many, many times. There's a will, and then there's fighting, and then there's strife, and then who gets more, and I want this, and who's loved more, and who's the favorite. And all this can break out in the middle of the blessing of that inheritance. This summer, our kids had an experience they've never had before. And a boat and tubes. Uh, there you go. Inner tubes, lake taps, and so much fun. We've just never done this before. And getting out there in the boat, and you can see the, the pictures. You know, we thought everything's going to go well, and it really did. But at the same time, I knew it's like, okay, who's going to get to ride first? How long? What's going to happen when they bump each other? Are they really going to go hard after each other? Who's going to wipe out? You know, those questions. And they're there together. And I think of Cain and Abel. They're getting in kind of those inner tubes. They're going for a ride together. It's like, what's going to happen with Cain and Abel? Now, again, our kids had a great time. But I want to highlight this experience as a metaphor for life. Because there's three different tensions here to notice. And the first tension is the tension 
tension that comes from the boat. The boat's going to move you forward, and I think that's a parallel with faith. In life, as you walk by faith, sometimes there's going to be tension because we really grow the most in tension, not when things are just at ease. And yet God wants to move us forward, even in a year like 2020, move us forward in the middle of a tension, going forward by faith together. So that's one good tension in this picture. There's a second tension, and it's the tension of the waves. I think those represent the challenges of life. You know how waves just come and they start to rock your world. And you can rise above some of those challenges, but some of those challenges and trials can also take you down for a while and the waves can get intense. They've been intense in 2020. And then there's another tension and it's a tension between the two tubes, the two people. And sometimes there's a collision and it's unintentional. And then sometimes people go after each other and there's an intentional collision and those wipeouts hurt. Uh, but you know, they can also encourage each other so we can go either way. And how do you navigate? How do you navigate in your family and in your life the different tensions? Let me ask you right now, how are the relationships, if you have siblings, how are your relationships with your siblings? Are they where you want them to be? Are they where God wants them to be? What would it look like to have greater unity? Uh, what about the year 2020? What have been the waves that have hit you? Have they been financial, emotional, relational, spiritual? What waves have come this year? And how do you navigate faith this year? What does it look like to trust Jesus in 2020? Or think about our country right now and the different tension that's happening, the collisions, people in one tube trying to take down the people in the other tube, and it just gets pretty fierce. It gets pretty cruel sometimes. What does it look like for us to walk together united as a nation? What does it look like for us to return to Jesus? And in this passage, we have a sibling rivalry. They're going to go on a run together, Cain and Abel. There's going to be some surprising stuff. In the first two verses, things are going really smoothly. But the next six verses, this is all going to change. A lot can change in six verses. A lot can change in six months. Would you agree? I mean, just think of our church six months ago, and now think of what God's doing to rebuild right now, reconnect right now. A lot in our lives can change in six verses or six months. So how do we navigate that amount of change, the trials that come? And we're going to take a look at unmasking this sibling rivalry. Uh, three observations. And, and by the way, rivalry can sound kind of fun in sports, right? Like it's really fun when the Seahawks beat the 49ers. That's a good time right there. When the Sounders beat the Timbers. And I won't say who beats who in college sports, but we'll just say Cougars and Huskies play each other. All right, let's keep us united here. But, uh, you know, rivalry is fun in sports. Rivalry is not so fun with siblings and in relationships. And let's take a look at three observations. What do we learn from this text and how does it apply to our relationships, whether we have siblings or even rivalry in relationships that come? Chapter 4, starting in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. This rivalry really starts within the heart. It starts within the heart. And in Cain's heart, it's very different than Abel's heart. Cain's heart in terms of worship, well, faith, it isn't strong. Faith leads to worship. 
Cain is not trusting God, so it shows up in his worship. It shows up in the offering. And there's a difference here between Cain's offering and Abel's offering. We don't know exactly why God was not pleased with Cain's offering. Uh, It probably wasn't the offering itself, though. It was probably the attitude and the motive. God sees and cares about the attitudes and the motives that we have. And Cain's was off. Abel was honoring the Lord. And there's a difference there. And Cain notices that God is pleased with his brother, but Cain also knows deep in his heart, and we know deep in our heart when we've dishonored the Lord. And that's some of the tension that comes. And so often with siblings, the rivalry starts with who's better, who's first, who's the favorite. Who does God like more? Who's first? Who's going to do better than the other one? Now, Abel seems to do better. Maybe God likes Abel more. Cain's feeling all this frustration. It's all coming out of uh, really his rebellion or lack of faith that gets played out in terms of the offering right there. And ultimately, he's downcast. And whenever we rebel against God, sin might taste good for a couple minutes. Sin might feel good for a couple of hours. But sin always leads to a downcast spirit. And God doesn't want us to be there in shame and guilt. God wants to to lift us up. He's going to try to bring Cain back over and over again. But right here we see that the the enemy, the devil, is at work. He enters in to envy. Do you struggle with envy at all? Do you really keep an eye on everyone else and compare? You know, comparison's okay in one sense. It's you can learn from other people. Comparison's okay. Maybe there's some best practices. But comparison gets very unhealthy very quickly. And it can lead to this unhealthy rival in relationships. We see it in many siblings in the Bible. Jacob and Esau right away comparing, grasping, trying to get ahead of the other one. Jacob was blessed by God. And you know what? The brothers looked at him and they were jealous. They were envious. And so what did they do? They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. And even the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, in that parable, we see that there's one son who's been rebellious and comes back to the father. And there's a celebration in returning to God. But the other one is just full of himself, grumpy, and comparing. Well, he rebelled and he gets a party and he's just mm, resentful inside. We see this in the Bible over and over again, this comparison. And I want to point this out. Comparison consumes contentment. Comparison will consume your contentment. When you start comparing other people's bank accounts, other people's cars, other people's houses, other people's clothes. You start comparing, it will consume your contentment. You start to compare to other people's, uh, let's say their gifts, their calling, their abilities, or the fruits in their lives, that kind of comparison, it will consume your contentment. So don't go down that road. Cain is going to go down that road of comparison and envy, and uh, it's not healthy. If you at all want to look at some Psalms this week, and I encourage you to, that have to do with envy and comparison, check out Psalm 49. Check out Psalm 73. Those are psalms where there's real honesty, transparency about someone who's really wrestling with, struggling with comparison and envy. And and read those psalms. Have some conversations with God. Let God bring you contentment. Contentment. Deep contentment in who you are, your identity in him, how he's blessed you, what he's given to you, and just have the peace of the Lord instead of envy and comparison. And it starts within the heart. You've got to guard your heart so sin doesn't get in there. Envy and comparison don't get in there. You don't harbor that. But then Cain continues. He doesn't stop. He doesn't guard his heart. It's fueled by arrogance. What starts in the heart is then fueled by arrogance. Take a look at verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, 
Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and sin desires to have you, but you must master it. Fueled by arrogance. Now, siblings have a way. You don't even have to teach them. We have four kids. We haven't taught one of our kids how to push buttons for the other kids. It just happens. And they just figure out buttons and they push it. And then there's overreactions as well. I just love, I love our kids, but I mean, it's just normal when they're siblings. And sometimes there's disappointment and all that's okay. But we've got to stay in a humble place because pride and arrogance will keep the rivalry unhealthy and it'll keep the rivalry going. God wants us to make it right in our relationships when they're off. Not just physical family and biological family, but brothers and sisters broadly. Uh, Let's take a look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five. Here's a check for us. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, so you come to worship and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, This is what Jesus says to do. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. The word first is important. Your first step is not to just keep singing and worshiping and praising. Your first step is to go and be reconciled. Do everything you can do to have peace with and make it right with the other person. That is worship. That reconciliation is worship. And then you gather together and worship. But stay on top of it. Notice, like, we come together to worship often, right? Weekly, we get together. That's just a hint that don't let these tensions and unhealthy division linger. The devil has a root of bitterness that he wants to grow in your life, this bitterness and resentment. And you got to say, no, I'm not going to go down that road. And it'll be arrogance and pride that keeps us in that unhealthy uh, mindset, in an unhealthy heart. Sin is at your door. Very straightforward. Sin is at your door. Sin knocks at your door but you decide if you want to let sin in. The devil can't make you sin. Sin is a choice. Everyone chooses. But sin's at the door knocking, and sin is crouching there. And that word crouching is is what an animal does right before they're going to devour and pounce. Uh, Ready. Sin is ready. Sin wants to take over. Sin sin creeps into Adam and Eve's life, but uh, notice that uh, at this point, sin has even gotten stronger. Adam and Eve, all right, Eve was talked into sin. Now God is trying to talk Cain out of sin, and he won't even be talked out of sin. There's a stronghold that's developing in Cain's life, and God is bringing mercy. God's sending a wake-up call. Cain, uh, Cain doesn't want it. Cain is holding on to his sin, and this is how sin works. It'll start small, and it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, Sin will start in one generation and it starts to manifest and then it'll go bigger and it'll just keep increasing. Right now, the next generation, now sin, now we're going to be talking murder. Uh, So this hatred that's come in to Cain's heart. Sin crouches, sin wants to take over, sin always destroys, sin always wants to take more, sin is always cruel. And God never wants us to have to go through that um, destruction that sin brings. So this is what God says, master it master it. Say, well, how do you master temptation and sin? How do you break free? Uh, Mastering sin 
has everything to do with who you choose to have as your master in life or your Lord. When you choose the right master, when you choose Jesus and you trust him, Jesus breaks the power of sin. He sets us free from sin patterns in our lives. He's strong in any temptation. So choosing the right master, like Spurgeon says, when you stop fearing the Lord, you open up the door for all kinds of sin. But when you choose that he's the Lord and you trust him, now you walk through temptation and you stay pure and you honor the Lord. And Cain is making some decisions here. Uh, It takes humility. If I want to call the shots in my life, I will guarantee you that I will sin. And I will form sin habits, and it'll become strongholds in my life. When I say, Jesus, take over, I want you to lead, sin patterns are broken in my life. And it's the same true in your life, in Cain's life, and everyone's life. That's how life works. But it takes humility instead of arrogance. And then it ends with dehumanization. Look at verse 8. This is shocking. We never expected this. I don't think Adam and Eve can imagine his parents having to go through this right here. Verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, this is premeditated, this is intentional, he says, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. There's a spiritual issue with physical manifestations. Cain has a spiritual issue of rebellion against God, and that'll be played out in his life by actually killing his brother. Instead of a brother, human, family, now he's taking down a person that's so close in his life. Shouldn't be this way. Cain has watched animals be sacrificed. He's watched that, and now he's going to shift it and bring it into a human realm and walk forward in murder, murder his brother. Abel is the first martyr, and Abel's the first one killed. Abel, Jesus says later, prophets like Abel. Abel does what is right. Sometimes in life you do what is right and you still get mistreated. That's Abel's story. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, that's a history of people who walk by faith. The very first person in Hebrews chapter 11 is Abel. And it says Abel still speaks. Abel still speaks as prophets walk with the Lord, as people walk with the Lord and are mistreated and there's injustice and there's hatred. Even though they're honoring the Lord, Abel still speaks. But he would say, keep going the path with the Lord. Even if you're killed, keep trusting God. What about this dehumanization? What does it look like in our world today? Uh, Let's think about Christian persecution. There's a persecution that's based purely on faith, a mistreatment, a dehumanization. Uh, This is from Voice of the Martyrs, and they are a ministry that takes a look globally at what's happening with Christians and the persecution. And they report that 245 million Christians in the world experience high levels of persecution for their choice to follow Christ. That's not low levels or medium levels. That's 245 million with high levels. That's one out of every nine Christians in the world today. Uh, That's a 14% rise from the year before. So there's more and more persecution of Christians in the world today. Each month, there's 322 Christians that are killed for their faith. There's 214 churches and Christian properties that are destroyed. And then, this is interesting, different continents. Uh, In South America, one out of every 21 Christians experiences high levels of persecution. That's South America. Then, as we move to Africa, one out of every six Christians experience high levels of persecution. But when you arrive in Asia, as a Christian in Asia, one out of every three 
followers of Jesus, has very high levels of persecution. Can you imagine gathering together today if one of every three people here was either threatened, beaten, jailed, or killed? And that's what the next year looked like for our church? That's the reality in Asia for following Jesus today. Well, what does that tell us? There's a lot of persecution. It's increasing. And we need to be mindful of what's happening around the world. Our brothers and sisters we need to pray for them, care for them, and encourage them. And that's one form of dehumanization. Uh, there's another one, and it's um, racism. It's tied into race. I have two friends. Uh, well, I have more than two friends, but I have two friends that are pastors in the sound, and this stands out in terms of their life and what's happening right now. One of them is black and receives death threats, multiple death threats, simply because he's black. Uh, there's another uh, friend that I have who's a pastor in the sound, and he's Korean, and someone came up to him and said, are you Korean? And he said, yes, and they were looking to bring harm to Koreans. So they pulled out a knife and started stabbing him again and again. And he's got uh, severe injuries that will be with him the rest of his life unless the Lord does a miracle. That kind of dehumanization where you look at someone that's a different race and you think they're less than or you're going to attack and hurt someone. These are realities. We need healing in our land. Uh, then there's political tension in our land. And what we see is sometimes there's hatred uh, there's just cruel, cruel treatment for people that don't have, share the exact same political view in certain areas. And this is what Jesus said about murder. Yes, murder happens, and we have a culture that you know, has a lot of violence, but murder, Jesus says, is much more than just killing someone. It's murder whenever in your heart there is rage or there is slander. That, he says, is a form of murder. And so Cain's murder was physical, but there's many forms of murder. And Every country I've lived in, there's just tension between that country and another country, or one tribe and another tribe, or one group and another group. And ultimately, it comes back to we need the love and humility of Jesus to break cycles and to bring a greater love. And we're going to shift here with the tone and bring some hope because we need hope. And there's a clarity here, a path forward that comes from God. And God gives a way out. God gives a better way. Jesus is the way. And I want to highlight three experiences here because you say, how do we overcome rivalry? What is God's plan to overcome this in our human nature? Well, here's three experiences. And the first one is responsibility. Take a look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Cain replied, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Come on, Cain. Uh, he's going to double down on denial, right? Where's Abel? I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever really known something and you said to someone, I don't know. I don't know. Like you just killed your brother. Where's your brother? I don't know. I don't know. So he's going to be in denial there. And then here's the second part of the denial. He's going to deny the concept that we are to look out for one another as brothers and sisters. And, you know, right there, it's like, well, am I my brother's keeper? What a question. First, he's going to lie. And then he's going to say, well, I'm indifferent. Do I really, you know, do I have any responsibility with my brother? Am I my brother's keeper? And the truth is, we have a responsibility from God to love one another. We have a responsibility from God to love 
one another. So what does that love look like? Let's take a glance at first Peter. And Peter wrote this in the context where Peter was a martyr. All right. Just like Abel, Peter was a martyr about 64 AD. Peter's writing, Nero brought a lot of persecution to Christians and the Christians then were scattered. They were killed. There was a lot of hostility. And it's like, how do you respond when there's a lot of hostility and tension? And this is what Peter says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert of sober mind that you may pray. As we get closer to the return of Jesus every day, and we read in the Bible, things get more intense. As you get closer to the return of Christ, you say, what do we do in the end times? This is what you do. You stay alert spiritually. You don't fall asleep. Sober-minded. You're realistic. You know with authenticity what's happening. And you can talk about truth. And then you pray. That's the posture you take. But above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Stop complaining. Just stop grumbling and complaining. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. How do we respond in 2020? Grace Community Church, what do we do? We love one another deeply. We forgive one another. Let's open up our lives, our homes. Let's bring hospitality to each other. Let's stop grumbling. Let's start using our gifts Whatever gifts you've received from the Lord, start serving other people. That's the path of joy. That's the greater way from the Lord. And that's what we need in our nation today as well. That's always an option. People cannot take that away from you. That is always an option. The church was scattered. In some ways, we've been scattered, kind of disconnected uh, over the last six months. But even when you're scattered, this is how we can live. And we have that responsibility towards love and kindness Kindness, it's harder to find, I think, right now than it was at the start of the year. Kindness and love. We are our brothers and sisters' keepers. So first is responsibility. Say, yes, Lord, I'm going to love my brother and sister. And then the second part is repentance. Take a look at verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What a powerful image. The blood of Abel cries out from the ground. The blood of those who are innocent. The blood of injustice. It cries out. In that message that it cries out, uh, there's a verse that's in the New Testament. talks about the blood of Abel and the blood of Jesus. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And uh, verse 24, To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel speaks the word of hatred, division, injustice, uh, pain. The blood of Jesus, it's his redemption, it's his rescue. The blood of Jesus speaks healing, reconciliation, peace, a greater love. The blood of Jesus is the greatest sacrifice, the greatest love, pays the price for our sins. The blood of Jesus speaks, and it's a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel reminds us of our need for Jesus in the sacrifice of the Savior. And the blood of Jesus speaks as well. The blood speaks, heaven hears. Cain is not listening to heaven. Take a look at verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment, because God said there's going to be a consequence. You're going to work the ground. You're going to be wandering on the earth. Cain said, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. He's got some self-pity. Uh, but the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain 
so that no one who found him would kill him. It's like Cain just repent. He refuses to repent. You know, Cain, you've tasted dishonor. You know what it's like to choose dishonor. You know what it's like to choose rebellion. You know what it's like to choose lying. He's chosen guilt. He's chosen shame. He's chosen cover-up. He's chosen denial. It's like, Cain, you've tried everything. Self-pity, you're trying everything. It's time for repentance. You know, you can't make someone repent. You can't force someone to repent. And Cain doesn't want to. He's stubborn. He doesn't want to repent. So what he's really concerned about is the consequence. Not the repentance, but the consequence. And uh, just repent is, is the message here. Repentance is good. Repentance brings refreshment. Repentance brings healing. Repentance brings closeness to the Lord. God will never despise a contrite heart. He will never despise. He will shower grace and mercy on anyone who's contrite. Uh, we read here about this mark of Cain. Uh, what is that mark? We don't know. We honestly don't know exactly what the mark is, but I, what we do know is it's been twisted. It's been twisted in a couple contexts. Uh, this curse of Cain, it also ties into the story with Ham in Genesis shortly after that. This is so sad, but uh, for decades, really for almost two centuries in our land, this passage was used falsely to try to justify or rationalize slavery. And it was taught that this mark of Cain is to have dark skin, and that's why they're going to be mistreated. People with dark skin in terms of slavery. And it was Protestants that even taught this and, and passed this forward. And they thought, well, here's the biblical grounds. What a horrendous thing. What an absolute tragedy. And it's a reminder that Scripture can be twisted to do the most cruel things. Many Scriptures, even like this, Cain being a prototype for Jews, have become anti-Semitic. Uh, actions have been linked falsely to different Bible verses and interpretations. I highlight this to say that be careful of false teaching. Be careful of people twisting Scripture. And be careful of people using the Bible to try to rationalize even sin. Uh, it happens in many levels, and just be alert, stick with the Scripture. Uh, the way of Cain is referred to in Jude chapter 1. The way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? The way of Cain is a picture of walking away from God. Anyone who's going to choose, I'm not going to do things God's way. When a culture rejects God, you see the way of Cain grow. The way of Cain, the Bible says. As a culture, don't reject God because the pathway will be lying, division, violence. It's the way of Cain, not the way of Jesus. And so what do we do as a nation in a situation like we're in right now? What do we do? Repent. Repentance. I don't know if you're aware of this, but thousands of churches this weekend all across our land repenting and returning. The emphasis has been, let's turn from all sin, let's return to God. Thousands of churches across our land. I don't know if you're aware of this, but tens of thousands of Christians have gathered in Washington, D.C. this weekend to what? Repent, seek the Lord, cry out to him. We need Jesus in our land. We need healing in our land. We need an awakening in our land. Uh, many people, prayer walks, this weekend, repentance, this weekend, prayer walks this weekend, prayer gatherings this weekend, this weekend across the land, not just in Grace Community Church, but let's humble ourselves. Let's seek the Lord. Let's ask that God would move and that hearts would change and we would return to God in our land. We know we need Jesus in our land. And God is stirring. God is stirring for repentance. When you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Just humble yourself. Make it right. Seek the Lord and trust God. Return to God. Drop Drop the sin. Drop the pride. Return to the Lord. Repent and return. Cain won't do it. God wants to bring revival. 
Cain doesn't want revival. Uh, we see responsibility, repentance that leads to revival. Ultimately, we run to the Lord or we run away from the Lord. That's what's happening. We run to the Lord or run away from the Lord. Cain's going to run away from the Lord. We all know what it's like, I think, to run away from the Lord in different ways, different areas of our lives. In verse 16, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Nod means land of wandering. You know what Cain got really involved in? Work, his job, did a lot of things, uh, built a lot of things up. You know, family, he got into his work and his job. When a lot of people run away from God, they just dive into their work and they try to have their work be a substitute for closeness with God. And that's what Cain's going to do. Now, God in his grace is still going to bless Cain. He's still going to protect him. You know what the irony of that mark of Cain? It was actually God's mercy, God's protection, that no one would harm Cain. And God blessed him. He was able to work and build. Uh, God protected him, provided for him. Even when we rebel against God, God still provides jobs, energy, health a lot of time by his grace and goodness. And we see that. He provides for Cain. Uh, but also, uh, in terms of running away from Cain, Cain will stay distant from the Lord instead of experiencing his grace. So what does revival look like? Look at the last verse in this chapter, verse 26. As we see it start to move forward in different generations, we read, Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. And at that time... Men and men and women begin to call on the name of the Lord. That's where it starts. Just begin to call on the Lord. Cry out to the Lord and God will move. What does revival look like? Revival looks like love. I want to say it again. Revival looks like love. Receive more of God's love. Love God more. Love people more. Love people like brothers and sisters. That's revival. What does scripture say? What does that look like again? Romans chapter 12, Paul writes this. So we heard from Peter. Paul's the other leader. Both of them experienced God's grace. They really messed up in life. And yet God raised them up to be the leaders, Peter and Paul. And they're both saying the same thing. Why? The Bible's 66 books, but it's one book. The same spirit is working through Peter and Paul. The same spirit works through us. Here's the message. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. When you read that, love is no longer broad and vague. It's like, oh, I get it. Okay, there it is, God's love. I want to close with two pictures of God's love. One of them is the video we saw from Pakistan. When you think about our international partners, or people just sitting in chairs like you're sitting in, and God stirred their hearts, and God calls people, God leads people, even to places like Pakistan, even dangerous places, places where there's a lot of persecution. Uh, what would you say if God nudged you and said, go to Pakistan, go serve in a hospital? Would you serve God on the other side of the world? Would you serve God where there's a lot of threats? Would you serve God where it's dangerous? W would you drop everything and move? Would you serve if you didn't get a lot of attention, if you didn't get any appreciation, if you really just did it behind the scenes for the rest of your life and it was anonymous? Would you serve God? Is that kind of love, the love from God that you receive, is that kind of love overflowing? Christ's love compels us. Why does someone go from here to Pakistan to serve in a hospital, a difficult place? The love of Christ compels. 
The love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. There's no other explanation. The love of Jesus. Loving brothers and sisters on the other side of the world that you've never met before. But it doesn't mean you have to go somewhere. When I think about the love of Jesus, uh, right here, actually yesterday, uh, we had a funeral. Pastor Mark, he's our uh, next-gen pastor, campus pastor, and his daughter Jessica has been battling cancer, brain cancer, for over a year. And the last month, things took a turn for the worse, and Jessica's now with Jesus. And we gathered together yesterday at the funeral and talking about Jessica's life because comments from so many people, she taught in a school, comments from so many people, was the light that shined in Jessica's life and shined through her. And the light was Jesus. She put her trust in Jesus as a young child, uh, even by like age six, trusting Jesus. She continued to walk with the Lord. Uh, we all stumble in different ways, but she continued to honor the Lord, love the Lord, show God's love throughout her whole life. Do you know when she was diagnosed with brain cancer and told that she's not going to have much time? Do you know what she said? I just want to stay close to Jesus, and I just want more people to know Jesus, and I just want to bring Jesus' love. I want to walk with Jesus and be faithful to Jesus through this cancer. And that's what she was. That's what she was. And the influence, uh, her teachers, students, you know, in a church family, people that knew her, People that experienced the funeral yesterday, the love of Jesus shining through her. So whether God keeps you here in the sound, whether your life is long or short, whether he sends you to a place like Pakistan, revival looks like love, and it's the love of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus that we need in America right now. We don't have another place to turn but to Jesus and to his love. His love and his humility bring healing and help us overcome rivalries and division. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you're gracious to us, that you're kind to us, that you're patient with us, and you're forgiving. And God, with so many of our brothers and sisters right now, we want to join with just a a spirit of uh, repentance, God. We want to turn from sin in this place right now. We want to turn from the sin that we harbor in our hearts. God, we want to turn from secret sins. We want to turn from sins of attitude, sins of indifference, God, of not really living out your love and loving the people that you put into our lives, sins of being afraid to talk about you, Jesus, sins of not really being prayerful, sins of envy, sins of comparison, sins of hatred, God, sins of judging other people in negative ways, God, sins of division, God, would you forgive our sin in the land? God, come and cleanse. Come and heal, God. Move in power. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Take over in our lives, God. Make us instruments of your love. Lord, we're here to repent and receive from you. God, we pray for times of refreshing to come. God, we pray for renewal to come. For, for, uh, we pray for revival to come in our hearts that comes from you, not faked or manufactured, but from your presence and your great love. Have your way as we surrender to you now. Rebuild, God, what's been broken. Restore. Bring healing where there's pain. Bring reconnection where there's loneliness. Bring hope, God, in praise where there's a spirit of despair. Renew, God. Move for your glory. We cry out, we ask. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.